Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Oh, hi, it's nice to meet you podcast. We have today my very good friend, April English. Welcome, April. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to just chat with you and get to know you better because we've known each other for how long now? Since I started CrossFit, so maybe in 2019 or 2018. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah, it's been a it's been a few years. Um, and we've definitely, you know, hung out and gone for coffee or gone for good food. Um, and since you moving away, we've, you know, kept in touch. But yeah, I'm excited to just get to know you even even better than I already do. So thanks so much for being here and being willing to do this, um, do this chat with me today. Of course, it was perfect timing as well, because Sundays are rest, full rest day, rest from the gym, rest from chores. So I get to do what I, whatever I like to do. So I was very excited to hop on. Yay. Awesome. Well, um, I would love to hear about like just where you grew up, kind of your childhood, any, um, yeah, just any general thoughts about your childhood. Sure. So I grew up on a farm in Lindsay, Ontario, grew up with two brothers and of course my parents and then right across the road from us were my two cousins and I'm very close with my one cousin Kristen she's we call each other sisters uh, even Mm -hmm. though we're not sisters neither of us have an actual sister and we're just so close and we continue to be so close that we just call each other that Um, but yeah we grew up on a farm I grew up with a lot of animals. So we had dairy cows, uh, chickens. We always had a dog as well. I uh, grew up a lot in sports as well. So that's kind of where my love from sports came. And also my love for food and nutrition and things like that, just being mm-hmm. really tied to the land and watching my dad and my uncle and my grandpa tied to the land and We always had something local on the table, which was really nice. Um, Yeah, and we also, I guess, a little bit tied with the sports with my cousins. We were always kind of running around in the backyard. Like, we never really stayed inside the house. Uh, My parents were always getting us outside, so we played a lot of random games. Anything you can think of, made a lot of mud pies when it was raining. So it was a really fantastic childhood I really think it's amazing to be able to grow up on a farm. And Mm. I think anyone who doesn't grow up on a farm should definitely get themselves and their kids to a farm just to Mm. see that atmosphere. And again, being tied a little bit to the land and the environment is really humbling, I guess. Mm. And where was your family farm? In Lindsay. So that's in Ontario. Okay. So it's, For those who don't know Lindsay or Ontario super well, we always tie things to Toronto or the GTA. So it's, I mean, on a good day, probably an hour and a half or two hours away from Toronto. But of course, with traffic, it's Mm. anytime we visit Toronto, it's probably more like three. Mm. So it's like a day trip, like a, like a day. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if uh, my parents have to pick me up from the airport or anything like that, it's Mm. kind of like the half a day and we go out for dinner, whatever it might be. It it is an adventure for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And are your parents still in Lindsay? 
or yeah so we don't have the farm anymore so unfortunately oh my gosh it feels like yesterday but it's now been several years since we've sold it so unfortunately unfortunately my uncle got quite sick and it was just my dad and my uncle on the farm kind of when my grandpa passed away and so they were doing everything and like my mom would help out when she can't she could and my brother would help out when he could um but my uncle got sick and he just you know he wasn't able to make it to the farm every single day and when you have dairy cows Mm. you you can't take breaks I mean that they need to be milked twice a day every single day they need to be fed Mm. and there's so many other things on top of that that just need to be done and so when that happened and he fell ill and then my my dad was just overwhelmed it was too much for just a single individual and there were 60 cows so they made the really really tough decision to sell the farm Mm -hmm. um and they we did fortunately sell it to someone I actually grew up with in high school Uh, so we sold it to someone we know which was anything like everything we could ask for mm-hmm. um but then a couple years later so Lindsay and like surrounding areas where I grew up is an area where people who work in Toronto will actually live in Lindsay and commute every single day back and forth from Toronto that's just how big Toronto and the work scene is getting and mm-hmm. so there's someone coming in and buying up all the land in Lindsay and trying to make it into like kind of like a mega city if you will and so unfortunately um someone did buy our farm from those other individuals who bought our farm from us we still Mm -hmm. call it our farm because it still feels like our farm Mm -hmm. Uh, so it will be unfortunately demolished one day and built into probably a highway or a mall which is very upsetting for us but Mm -hmm. um you know, we had some fantastic memories on it. And my parents are still in Lindsay, uh, just in a, another beautiful home. Nice. Oh, well, that's, yeah, too bad that that's gonna happen eventually. But like you said, some great memories. And um, if you ever go visit, and you're like standing in a concrete building, you can be like, this is where, you know, my cousin and I, we... <laughs> played whatever made mud pies yeah Yeah. exactly yeah Yeah. the memories for sure exactly oh um and I love what you said about um you know just trying to get out to a farm or or seeing what the operations are like um because yeah that that is where so so many of our goods come from and I definitely want to bring like our kids to explore on a farm and stuff like that um just haven't ever just haven't looked into it quite yet but um and you've lived in big cities now so how could people that grew up in big cities or currently you know just live the city life how how would you recommend them reconnecting with you know the the farmers and and seeing that side of things what would you recommend yeah so I think it depends on where you live because there's different opportunities depending on where you're living but for those in Ontario and Alberta and I think actually in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia and PEI they have it as well Um, there's a club that I was involved in my whole life 
until I was kind of too old to be involved in the club called 4H. So Mm. the number four and then the letter H. Mm. And so it's a youth club tied to anything you can imagine tied to agriculture or there's even like crafts, things like that. So it's a club essentially for youth to come to and develop leadership skills and interpersonal skills and Mm. confidence, things like that. So just like Girl Scouts or something like that, you join the club and you're surrounded by a lot of friends all the time. You get to meet new people, but you're also developing the skills depending on what club you're in. So for myself, I was in like a, a dairy club. So at when you go to a fair um, and you've ever gone to the agricultural barns and they have like the cows that are looking very beautiful and they, they don't really smell quite as bad as if you walked into <laughs> a farm. Um, we actually kind of compete in like these shows Um, and it's it can be very technical and it it can be difficult to explain to other folks what's going on (laughs) but it's it's kind of like a dog show if you will like you know Mm -hmm. how they set their dogs up properly and they'll grade them based on different things so for people who have kids I think it could be a really fun idea to look at Mm -hmm. 4-H and what opportunities are out there in those different provinces I do think I think it's, it must be in Saskatchewan and probably Manitoba as well, but I'm just not sure about BC uh, and Quebec. I'm not sure if they have 4-H, but they probably do. Uh, yeah, so I think that's like a that. yeah. So I think that would be a really good opportunity to look into. And they're not mm-hmm. all surrounded by animals, like they're like I said. There's a crafts club usually. There's a cooking club usually where you just go like once a week and you cook with other people and they're learning those different skills about how to cook and how to bake and how to read recipes, which is really nice, especially when you're going to university or college or moving out one day. Yes. So that's really fun. Um, I already mentioned fairs are really excellent one that everyone Mm. usually has access to at a really low cost. Mm. So they, you can either go to the agricultural barn and you can even talk to folks around the barn there people are always willing to chat with you if you just come with like an open mind folks are always really uh, willing to chat with you about any questions you might have and sometimes there's educational sessions going on as well Uh, there's usually like a booklet of what's going on at a fair okay so um, for example I was involved in educating youth about agriculture in general when I was in 4-H so that's another kind of way to get in there yeah for maybe adults that don't have kids perhaps Um, I mean you could definitely go to fairs but I think a really good one is just going to local butcher shops and farmers markets and buying local and then once those people kind of get to know you a little bit more like you're showing up a lot you can start asking them probably questions to them as well and again people are always really willing to answer any questions folks have as long as you come with an open mind really happy to talk about it and I mean depending on how that relationship grows you might be able to ask like hey I have a couple of kids would you mind if we saw like a cornfield or like we came there and talked a little bit about how the the growing process goes Um, again I I think a lot of folks are really willing to do that type of thing so Mm. I think it's again just whatever the situation is just coming with that open mind asking Mm. questions and just being friendly and 
they might learn something from you as well. And it gets them excited that folks are interested in learning about agriculture. So I think those are the the things that come to mind on how you could get involved. Yeah, that's awesome. And, um, and from what you were mentioning, it's just about taking that initiative to actually go and learn, which is, you know, the whole reason why I wanted to start this podcast, right, is like taking that time, taking that initiative, just to ask a few more questions so that who knows what you can learn, right? Like, you've always been such a great resource for me of just different experiences and different um, things to learn about. And I did not know about 4-H. So I'm going to look into that like right after we're done here. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for that. Um, And growing up on a farm and being outside a lot, I know that you are, you mentioned to me before that you're quite sensitive to the sun. Am I recalling that? correctly? Yeah, I mean, I have very, very pale skin. And my family has. So my grandpa had skin cancer that eventually turned into brain cancer. And that's how he passed away. Mm -hmm. And my dad has also had precursors to skin cancer. I think that's the way you say it. It's, it gets a little Mm -hmm. bit technical there. Um, And myself, of course, being just very fair, and I'm very blonde. um, Yeah, quite sensitive to the sun as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so just having to take precautions when when you are outside all that good sun safety stuff but that absolutely that didn't seem to stop you from enjoying the outdoors and whatnot no no absolutely not I mean when you're a kid you don't think about these things at all your parents are trying to shove the sunscreen on your face and your skin and my parents were really good about that uh, because my dad is constantly putting sunscreen on whenever I saw him in the house it's just sunscreen 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 and always wearing hats and and things like that so we're always we were always quite aware as a family probably just with our family history and now uh, I'm even more aware I'm actually taking a medication that increases my chances of getting skin cancer in the future so it's kind of like that double double hit for me so I'm even more aware now as well so whenever I'm at a beach I usually put on like a rash guard mm-hmm. or eventually put it on if I'm sitting there for a while but mm-hmm. you and I and my partner we we're not the type to really go to a beach so I don't have to think about that a lot <laughs> right right yeah you're more the adventurous kind of couple yeah yeah which yeah. is still outside obviously hiking right. so we're just yes. very aware yeah totally We'll get more into your adventures after, but, um, so, so yeah, growing up on the farm, when did you make the transition into the city? Because that's how I know you is from the city. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious to think <laughs> that way. Cause obviously my friends from home, it would be the opposite. Um, yeah. but I went off to university after high school it wasn't really city life because it was in Sudbury, Ontario, so Northern Ontario at Laurentian University. And it's funny because I actually visited another, well, I visited a college actually, because what I studied in university is usually a college course. And I went to, I think it was Humber, which is in Toronto. And as soon as I stepped foot on that campus, I was like, no, I, I can't be here. I need to leave. And it just felt so uncomfortable to be in such a city atmosphere 
and it just wasn't something I guess I'm used to and I like mm -hmm. immediately I, I didn't even look at like the classes professors <laughs> anything like that I just immediately shut it down and then I went to visit Laurentian in Sudbury and it's on this like beautiful forest campus it oh kind gosh. of in the middle of nowhere <laughs> like it's yeah. gorgeous and again same thing I didn't even like look at classes or talk to professors and I was like this is it <laughs> wow um so I guess technically I was in the city but it, it didn't feel like a big city to me and it it certainly doesn't give off that vibe so then uh after Laurentian I did my master's in Kingston so that was getting again a little closer to the big city so Kingston's a pretty decent sized city and it has more of that city vibe so that was I guess kind of the first step into actually moving more into the city life um, but from where you know me yeah I moved after I completed my master's and was ready to look for a full-time job I moved to Edmonton which is where my partner is from and where where he was living at the time so that was actually felt like the first true big city experience I would say like Kingston yeah. is still very much feels like a local smallish town just the the vibe I guess of all the students and it just feels homey almost I don't know how to explain it but uh, Edmonton definitely is a was a big change and is a lot bigger than I have ever experienced but it was it was also a, an amazing eye-opener to like the different types of foods out there and the cultures tied to those foods and yeah I couldn't like before because I grew up eating you know meat potatoes and vegetables which is the farmer <laughs> meal at night um, mm -hmm. to having like Indian food one day and then Italian food the next day and Greek food the next you know so it was it was amazing in that sense. Yeah. And were you um, just really open to all of those different types of food? Because I definitely know some people, they just can't steer away from what they grew up with. And it's really hard for them to try these new flavors. Yeah, no, I, I was definitely open to it and really curious about it. Like I wanted to try a lot of different foods and just be able to experience that what I haven't been able to experience before. And I had a friend in university who was from Pakistan and she was the first one to introduce me to like not meat potatoes and vegetables and I think she got me the most excited and it turned on that curiosity to different types of food so no I was definitely ready to tr experience every type of food I could imagine <laughs> so awesome so awesome and uh, yeah I just know you have been like I look at the things that you're making or the recipes that you're cooking and I just always salivate. So, um, so that's, that's how I know you is like trying all these different things. And so I just think it's amazing that you branched out and now you get to influence, influence me. That's for sure. So. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad. Yeah. Um, and what was it that you took in school? What was your education? Yeah, so in my undergrad, I took a Bachelor of Physical and Health Education with a specialization in health promotion. So my undergrad is essentially what a gym teacher would get. So I actually had a lot of people <laughs> in my class who wanted to be a gym teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, so to be a teacher, for those who don't know, you take an undergrad and then you take education school. I think it has a technical term, but you need to have like a specialization before you get there, I guess. Mm. So um, I, I 
did a lot of sports in university and it was amazing. And I got credits for that. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was really fun and I do not regret any minute of it. Yeah. You're like, I get to have fun and I'm graduating. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then your master's was in public health. So a master's of public health from Queens university. Very cool. Yeah. And so where, yeah, what is that looking like for you right now? Cause I know you've transitioned through many different jobs right now. Like where are you, where are you currently working? What are you hoping to use your education for down the road? Yeah. So I have hopped around a little bit, like they're all in the realm of public health or health promotion per se, but I've definitely tried to experience different organizations and different specialties just to try to figure out what exactly I want to focus on or if I do want to focus on anything because for Mm -hmm. me anything to do with health promotion and public health excites me and I can get a rabbit down a rabbit hole in any specialty Mm -hmm. so it's been fun figuring out what exactly I want to do for like a longer term career but Currently, I'm working at the University of New Brunswick, and I'm within an institute called um, the New New Brunswick Institute for Research, Data, and Training. It's such a long name, and we just, (laughs) whenever we talk about ourselves, we just give ourselves the short form, so (laughs) it's about Um, And then within there, we have a unit that I work at, which is called the Monitoring, Evaluation, and Knowledge Transfer Unit. So... Currently, I am a knowledge transfer officer. And so there's a lot of people, even in my field, that have no idea what that means. Uh, So basically, knowledge transfer or knowledge translation, a lot of people call, is sharing research evidence to your target audience in a way that resonates with them. So a lot of the times for research, we are sharing it in ways using you know scientific jargon or whatever field that is they're still using their jargon and they're trying to communicate to the public what they're researching or what what they found with their research but they do it in ways that don't always resonate with a specific audience especially if we're talking about a lay audience who maybe Mm -hmm. doesn't have a high school education, you know, you really have to break down some of those terms and break down some of those barriers to help explain what your research is. So I currently help 65 researchers do just that. So I do it through coaching, training sessions, I provide them with resources, templates. And I also do the actual sharing for them. So it's funny sometimes I call myself an event planner because a lot of the time now with us being virtual I'm setting up a ton of zoom sessions so they're sharing their research to different audiences that way even conferences can be on zoom these days but we're also trying to figure out you know depending on the audience so for I don't know folks our age maybe in their 20s or 30s where are they going to look for information in general it's not a conference. People aren't showing up to a conference to learn information. And so it's a little bit about digging into that research as well. So currently we're doing things like podcasts. So actually Mm -hmm. our researchers are hopping on podcasts and sharing 
their research to their mm-hmm. audience that way. And I'm trying to think infographics, um, something I'm really passionate about. I help them create infographics and then they can use it however they want. So researchers are often on Twitter and depending on their audience, that's where they'll post things as well. So we do that as well. And then another piece of my work that's a, a component to knowledge translation as well is actually applying the research evidence. So there's a quote and it's backed up by research um, on it takes 17 years from research to be put into practice something like that mm-hmm. and if you can imagine research taking that long to show, like be put into a policy by government or maybe to create like a maternal health program 17 years is like I can't even fathom it because research has already changed within like a year or two. And so if it takes that long to put it into practice, well, then we're not using the best evidence technically Mm -hmm. to create that program or the policy. And so Mm -hmm. I'm helping to shorten that gap, or that's my goal anyways, Mm -hmm. by figuring out the best ways to apply and using strategies to actually apply their evidence and put it into practice as well. And so not to get too into the weeds, which I certainly could, but um, I'll keep it a little more high level. I'm looking a lot at something called implementation science, which is essentially that application piece. But there's a lot of like theories and strategies behind it all and how to best do that. Mm-hmm. And so we're looking at a lot of that right now in my work. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because in health promotion, we talk a lot about behavior change. So what does it take to change someone's behavior Because motivation, as a lot of people talk about, is only like a tiny sliver of the pie. There's Mm -hmm. so many other underlying things that go into changing one's behavior. And when we're looking at applying research into like everyday life, we're also looking at behavior change. Because if you think about, let's say we're talking about a doctor I don't know, they have to increase their sanitation methods before they do surgery, let's say. And Mm -hmm. so maybe a doctor is forgetting to sanitize their hands before they pick up like a tool for surgery. So we're looking at, okay, how can we change that doctor's behavior, looking at like behavior change theory. So it's been really interesting seeing how health promotion is tying into a lot of other aspects I'm doing for my work as well. So it's been, it's been fun that way. Yeah. Wow. Like I, like I didn't know all of that, that that's what (laughs) you're doing currently. There's so much to it and you're so knowledgeable. And um, I just feel like you're so um, like willing to explore what else can be shared with other people like in different ways so that you can reach more people, um, which is, yeah, public health, right? So that is so awesome. Yeah. Um, Speaking of like motivation and behavior change and just health in general, being in that field, um, did you ever struggle or have challenges with your health and you found it hard to navigate Um, And yeah, how did you overcome that? Yeah, so before my 
current job, I dabbled in health coaching. Um, so I kind of ran my own business and did that because I wanted to see what it was like to apply these theories and strategies and everything I learned on like an individual level. Because a lot of what I was mm. taught in my master's, mm. I mean, it is public health, but it's more for like a societal level or like a community mm. level. So more like a group versus like a one-on-one interaction. Right. And I know for me, I I just, I feel like I wouldn't feel complete unless I at least tried the one-on-one because I really like having one-on-one interactions with people. So I thought it was worth a shot, but it was, it is really interesting to work one-on-one with people and ask them about their health and what they want to change and talk about their underlying, you know, motivations as to why they want to change. And in your head the whole time you're thinking about oh that kind of applies to me or oh I think I struggle with that as well so it kind of opens your mind up a little bit as well of if so like one of your own clients is struggling with something a you might not have realized it in yourself and then b you can share that with a client which is kind of a large piece of my technique for my one-on-one coaching was I wanted to make sure I was very empathetic and open with people on what I struggled with and how I relate to those people and how a lot of other people can relate to them and you're not alone and you're not broken. So yeah, I certainly found that very interesting. And before health coaching, that's probably where I struggled or had a period where I struggled the most. So I don't know when this was, it was maybe shortly after I moved to Edmonton, I began to realize that I had a little bit of an obsession with healthy eating and Mm. healthy attitudes and making sure I was perfect. So I had a, I mean, I am a perfectionist still. I don't know if I can change that about myself. It's just being aware that I am a perfectionist. And so that tied a lot into my eating behaviors as well. And, you know, I went to school to learn about, how to be healthy and how to help people be healthier. And so all you do is reflect on yourself or that at least that's what I did. And so I wanted to, again, be perfect and be the healthiest person I could be, but I put way too much pressure onto myself to the point that I wasn't even allowing myself to be human and make mistakes mm-hmm. without beating myself up. And so I realized I was never formally diagnosed with it, but I realized I think I was struggling with orthorexia, which is essentially an obsession with healthy eating. I mean, there's a a technical definition behind it, but that's kind of the way I think about it. And my partner actually helped me realize it as well, because I was just beating myself up so much if I like had an ice cream cone. Mm. Um, So there was definitely a rock bottom for me when I realized i did for sure need help was I can't remember like we went out one night or something and I came home and I was hungry and there wasn't a lot of food in my fridge and whenever I'm hungry or wanted something sweet at that period of time I wouldn't allow myself it like something sweet and so I would reach for like the quote-unquote healthy item and so I was eating I think a muffin that I baked, you know, the day before, and then I was still hungry. And so I ate another muffin. And then I think I was out of food in my fridge, and I opened up my freezer, and I had muffins that I froze. 
And I don't think I've ever shared this actually, but I opened up the freezer and I took out like six muffins and I ate them frozen. Wow. And yeah, and I ate them and then I sat down on my bed and I, that's when I realized like, this is a problem. I could have just eaten like a burger and felt way more satiated and just gone to bed, you know, right then and there. But instead I wouldn't allow myself to like eat a burger or something fast food because it was probably late at night. So Mm -hmm. I was trying to figure out what healthy item could I eat. And so I think the next day I said to my partner, I think I do need help. And it was actually amazing timing. Someone I went to high school with posted on Instagram on her story that she's looking for a beta client Hmm. for, I can't remember what she called it at the time, but essentially the exact same thing I was looking for of you're struggling with your eating or restriction with your eating kind of along those same lines because she went through something somewhere in her past as well. And she built a coaching program from like figuring out her own struggles and how she overcame her own struggles by herself Mm -hmm. and kind of researching a a bit behind that. And so she was looking for a beta client and I was like, yes, sign me up. And so that I I will say like, I, I don't love the word healed, but it feels like it healed me from that stage of my life. Mm -hmm. It allowed me to uh, eat whatever I wanted again and not feel guilty about, you know, having an ice cream cone or a piece of chocolate, like dark chocolate is my favorite. And I would feel guilty eating it. And now I actually have a piece every single day almost now. Um, And it wasn't something that, you know, you completely heal over in like a month or the time we worked together. It was it's still a work in progress. I think mm-hmm. to this day, I'm the best I've ever been. Mm-hmm. And it's been probably three or four years since we coached together. So mm-hmm. that was really big for me and a big piece that fed into why I wanted to do health coaching as well is because I knew I had the experience that it could relate to people, but I also had the educational background to bring in like theories and strategies and evidence of here's what works. Mm -hmm. And here's what we can do together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know, um, yeah, that's just really vulnerable for you to open up about that really challenging time in your life. And um, how do you feel like your, your mindset or mentality is now around food and healthy eating, but still enjoying life? Like, actually feeling joy from eating yeah so I think shortly after I did help uh, coaching with that lady to help me overcome my orthorexia I actually tried macro counting so for those who don't know it's essentially breaking down how many macros your body needs for the day depending on your energy expenditure for example and so it, you count up things like your protein, your fat, and your carbohydrates, and you essentially kind of weigh your foods. And at the end of the day, you hit, I guess, your protein, fat, and carbs for your energy expenditure. And so I did that for a while because I felt like I wasn't moving the needle on my strength in fitness. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like 
I was hitting the exact same numbers for so long and I have done fitness my entire life and I haven't done the same program my entire life, but it just, it felt like I could have pushed the boundaries a little bit more. And so I tried that for that reason, but also because I wanted to learn a little bit more about what my body did need. So mm-hmm. I quickly found out that I was not eating enough uh, protein, like most people are not eating enough protein because we need quite a lot more than people realize. And so I did that. Um, and I actually found that very helpful for me to not only figure out what I needed for my body, but it helped me overcome cravings quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So I craved a lot of food before that. And that's just because I wasn't eating a lot of those, the protein needs that I needed. And once you hit your, once I hit my protein, I found the cravings went away. Mm-hmm. And so when I was, when I wanted to eat like an ice cream cone, it was because I was like enjoying my time with like a friend and we went for a mm-hmm. walk and we wanted to have an ice cream cone. And it was more of sharing a memory and an experience together versus like, I have this really deep craving and mm-hmm. I really need this food right now. Mm-hmm. And so that was actually very helpful. So I did that, the macro counting for, I think a couple years. And I tried my first CrossFit competition around that same time. Uh, so that was very fun. And then I went into health coaching and I was doing, I, I was kind of counting only my protein essentially at the time I was comfortable with everything else. And I was, I just wanted to make sure that I was hitting my protein. So those cravings didn't come back. And then eventually I was like, you know what? I feel comfortable enough to trust my body in what I'm eating. And I don't want this to take, feel like it's taking over my life. Cause it's mm-hmm. not that it takes over your life at all. It certainly does not. And for a lot of people, it's very helpful but for me, I was starting to feel like it took up a lot of my time mm-hmm. and a lot of time I could have been spending with other people else elsewhere or otherwise. And I also just felt like I trusted my body again. Mm-hmm. And so and sometime when I was doing one-on-one health coaching, I stopped counting macros and I just trusted my body. And I would say right from the beginning, I was essentially eating still the same foods. And I was probably still hitting my macros just because I was used to it because it it was a couple of years. And then, you know, time goes on, and I probably was not eating quite enough protein. And so I would kind of here and there, look at my numbers and see if I'm hitting enough protein, just because I felt like I was getting cravings again, and I was working out a lot. Mm. But now I'm at a point where I just, yeah, I feel comfortable in my body. I don't overthink what Mm -hmm. I'm eating. Like I kind of just think about, okay, let's have a protein with a meal. Let's have Mm -hmm. a fruit or a vegetable with a meal. Let's have a carb with our meal. And I kind of like making sure I get my fiber. Like I'm aware. And I think doing both of those styles of coaching Mm -hmm. helped feed into that awareness And it helped feed into now I'm comfortable with, you know, perhaps one day I haven't eaten all my protein, but I'm okay with that Mm. versus before I probably would have been stressed out about it. Mm -hmm. It's really just shifted over time through that awareness and education to Mm. I'm really comfortable with sharing experiences. And if I'm aware, maybe I haven't eaten my protein, maybe I'll have a protein shake 
maybe I won't. And I'm okay with that. But I do find myself, you know, I, we eat really, really well. We, we meal prep and I'm not concerned with my diet now. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to think that much about my diet. Like I'd rather be sharing that time and space and energy with making memories and sharing experiences. And I really like cooking and baking. And so I put a lot more thought into that vein now as well. And not that there's anything wrong with maybe I will one day shift back to macro counting just to see where I'm at, or maybe I've increased my activity level and I want to see if I'm eating enough food for that. Mm -hmm. I think that's completely fine, but where I am right now, it's, it's comfortable for me. Mm -hmm. No, that's awesome. And it's so, it's so cool how you have to go through that in order to get to this point where you're at now, where there's just fulfillment and enjoyment in the act of sharing a meal with others or like cooking and baking for others. Um, and I found myself in a very similar situation just only like maybe a couple weeks ago where I was doing macro counting. I was working with a fitness and nutrition coach for um, a little under a year there. And so I was very, very focused on that. But I just found myself now after doing it for you know several months, I just found myself being so stressed about it, like, oh, I need to get 30 more grams of protein in, you know, and um, like, but I really want to have ice cream with my family. And I just remember uh, there were a few times where like I, I made my macro portioned meal and then my girls will come and they'll say like, mommy, can I have a bite of your eggs? And in my heart, I was like, but I like measured it out. And so like, no, those are my eggs, right? Like that's my protein that I need. And I'm like, I don't, yeah, just, I realize that that's not how I want to enjoy food. Um, and so anyways, I, I am on that similar journey that you were like a couple years ago of just trusting myself now and just eating, like just eating, <laughs> And being like, you're, and now you're aware though of like, okay, I haven't eaten any protein specific food sources today. I should probably eat a chicken breast with dinner. You know, that's, yeah. I think that's, I would honestly, for those who have the means, you know, they're not worried about, let's say their day-to-day expenses. I would honestly recommend working with someone like a coach, a trained professional, a dietitian, whatever it is on this is what a normal day looks like for your body right now. And here's Mm -hmm. how much protein your body should be having every single day to keep your energy source at, you know, the high and not having those midday crashes or whatever it might be for you. I'd recommend that for however long it takes you. Like some people may be in a space where they grew up with a lot of fitness and they thought about their nutrition a lot or grew up in a really like a family that was very aware. Maybe it's only going to be a couple months for them, but for some people, they just, they were never maybe brought up in a family who had the means maybe to even think about your protein sources and they just wanted to get something on the table for you. But now maybe you have the means and you could work with a coach or a professional for a year and just get that awareness of, what your body needs. And then eventually you can 
you know, wean off it for, for a lack of a better terms. Yeah. And you're, you're way more aware of what your body needs. Totally. And that's a sign of a good coach or a good relationship with a coach, right? Is eventually you should have learned the things that you need to know to be able to do those things independently. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, that's awesome. Just to pivot a little bit, I want to talk about you and Hugh and just all your adventures that um, that you have done or that you're planning to do. Um, I just love how adventurous and willing to explore you guys are. Um, and yeah, just just maybe just share a little bit about that. Like what what those conversations look like maybe between you and Hugh of like, what should we do next? You know, like, just kind of, yeah. And then, yeah, your plans for the future. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. Oh my goodness. I don't even know where to start. So I've always <laughs> been an adventurous type. It's maybe not the healthiest saying in the world, but I always used to say I work to live. I work to travel and That's so awesome, awesome saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, I should probably feel like my work is having fun, <laughs> which it is, but yeah. it's not the kind of fun that maybe I'm talking about with travel. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so I've always been quite adventurous and I really want to explore the world and experience different cultures and how people live and their lessons learned and things like that. And there's just so much out there to explore that I'm always... I always feel like I'm saving for our next big adventure. But yeah, I think our first one we took together, big first big trip, I should say, was Iceland. So we rented a van that had the bed seat uh, or bed layout in the back. And it had like a stovetop. Like you rented the whole shebang when you rented mm-hmm. this van. And uh, we just spent... I think 10 days on the road in Iceland driving around and sleeping in the van and it was it was really fun and I think for us because that was maybe a year into our relationship kind of the for me anyways like yes I can be with this person for forever (laughs) because if you can travel well together like yes I think that's a a good sign that you can probably survive together (laughs) yeah the highs and lows see it all exactly yeah Um, And we, yeah, we love hiking and just trying anything new. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit more maybe risk adverse and that I'll do things like skydiving or bungee jumping. I think he will. Um, But I, I'm like, yeah, let's do it. (laughs) No thoughts given. (laughs) Um, But that was our first trip. And then I can't even think about, I'll just maybe name off a couple of places we've been This year we went to Portland, Oregon. We found out it was like a foodie city and we did not know this. And now we live just a few hours away from there. So we were like, we have to go. So we went there. That was really fun. We've been to Ireland several, several times. We got married there. His family Mm -hmm. uh, lives there. So that's always a good time. And we always explore new parts of Ireland when we go. We've been to Germany together. His sister, one of his sisters lives in Berlin. So we hopped over there when they were getting married. So that was very fun. Uh, We just did our honeymoon in Switzerland and Austria. And I have some friends in Austria because I did an exchange there 
back in 2016 or 17. Mm -hmm. So Switzerland is, it's expensive, but there's certainly ways you can do it cheaply. Like if you are making your own meals, that's probably the number one thing I would say to people if they want to go to Switzerland on a budget, but Highly, highly recommend if you're into hiking or any outdoor adventures. I'm trying to think. I can't. I'm sure we've been other places. And we do a lot of like mini vacations around home. Uh, we live close to wine country, Nova Scotia. So we often find ourselves over there, which is really fun. And Halifax is always a good time and PEI. But next up on our list, we don't have any trips per se that I'm trying to think of oh we are planning for a BC trip in 2023 because I've only been to like Vancouver right but I'd like to do proper like hiking BC and hopefully get over to Victoria because I have a friend there but we don't have any big adventure like kind of trip per se is planned because we're actually planning on moving to Ireland yeah hopefully in about a year's time and yeah we I guess this is kind of like a public announcement because we have we don't really tell anyone we haven't really told our work yet but I mean I'm not concerned that my boss is gonna listen in unless I sent it to her um but yeah so we're after you move (laughs) exactly yeah Yeah. (laughs) we plan on moving there um yeah Hugh's mom and dad live there and many of his aunts and uncles so it'll be really nice to be around family and another big part of why we want to move is just to be closer to Europe like flights Mm -hmm. from Canada to Europe are outrageous Mm -hmm. and when we're in Ireland they'll be it'll feel so cheap and it'll be just so much more accessible for us to do those types of adventures and do those types of adventures on like a long weekend. Mm. We could pop over to like England on a weekend and it'll be amazing. Yeah, (laughs) That's another big reason. And we also, we just want to get like Ireland is still, it feels like, like growing up on a farm. I really like, slowing down every once in a while and just feeling connected to the environment and I don't know it almost feels a little old school I feel like I'm gonna get a whack on the wrist for saying that but (laughs) (laughs) it just it feels like home I guess when we're there um so that's kind of another reason just to to feel that I don't know peace Mm. where we're living will be really nice because I I mean I certainly have a home but it home doesn't feel exactly like home to me anymore because the farm is gone and so where Mm. I grew up is not necessarily you know available to me and I still have a home and going back to my parents place still feels like home but otherwise I just I'm a very adventurous person and I I want that integrated into my life of we're able to like that's accessible to us to do those adventures when we want and we have the means. So we're extremely privileged in that way that we can even Mm -hmm. think about our future that way, but Mm -hmm. that's what's up next for us. And uh, one day I want to do the Patagonia like trail. I mean, I think there's a ton of trails on that like system, but Mm -hmm. Argentina or Chile, 
that area, I really want to do a backpacking trip. So I did say for my 30th, but then I realized how close my 30th is, <laughs> which got me a little sad. <laughs> but right I, now we're... <laughs> I actually can't believe you're not 30 yet. I didn't know that. <laughs> Just because... We're close. We, like, yeah, we're close. And I didn't actually know... I never actually asked you, I don't think, how old you were. I know we... <laughs> I know I went to a birthday party of yours, but that just seems like so long. I'm like, yeah, we're close in age, April and I. Okay. So no, I have a lot of older friends as well. Um, oh so God. it just, it feels like I'm the same age as everyone, but yeah, I'm yeah. definitely younger than a few of my friends. <laughs> You're just very wise and mature. Oh, yes. so. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah. No, but we'll, we'll get there eventually. There's a ton of things like we want to get to Japan. We were going to do Japan for our honeymoon, but we wanted COVID to be a little bit more stable before sure. we do Japan. New Zealand is definitely up there. So like bigger trips that, mm. you know, years down the line, but we'll get there. We want to do New Zealand too, because we have some really, really good friends out in New Zealand and they keep being like, bring the girls here. And, <laughs> you know, so yeah, I actually was looking at flights the other day, which are a little insane, but, yes. um, but yeah, we just need to plan for it. So yeah, yeah that's so exciting. And the thing that I really love about you and just your like just your mentality is you're so willing to say yes to things um and from from outside perspective like you're just not afraid of change and going through change um because you know with your career and kind of bouncing around to different things and then now like this huge move um i feel like a lot of people would hesitate to make those type of choices because they're just fearful of change or, you know, that fear of the unknown. Um, and so that's something that I really value about how you make decisions and you're just like, yeah, let's, let's just do this and try it out and see what happens. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate that about you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I don't really know where it came from, but I, I think maybe I just when I was young would say yes to things and always realize like it usually works out to be a really amazing thing. And if it doesn't, it's like, okay, I learned that I don't like that or I'm not going to do that next time. So I think it was just having, I was once told that I had a lot of confidence when I was younger. And I think that's actually a part of growing up on a farm and being part of 4-H and learning like leadership skills younger that I had the confidence to just, do what I wanted and I think my dad said in our wedding speech um if anyone knows April you know that she, if she has her mind stuck to something like she's gonna do it yeah. <laughs> it's definitely true and yeah I'm not sure where it came from I know my dad I probably got a little bit from my dad um he, he liked to have fun I guess when he was younger <laughs> yeah but yeah, I think for, I always tell people, especially those like going through university or something like that, like if you want to do something, like you can do it. You just have to ask questions and like say yes and be willing to try something maybe a little uncomfortable at the time. But it usually works out to like either a lesson learned or like something really amazing for your future. Mm -hmm. And so I just think like, why not? say yes when you especially when I'm such a privileged situation in my life 
like I I feel like I can so I might as well Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then and we always say like it's not like we have to be in Ireland for forever like if it doesn't work out then we can try something else but for now this is just what what feels right to us that's awesome that's awesome um, so just to wrap up our chat here, what I've been doing with all my guests is um, to say or well, to think and say of three words of how you feel other people would perceive you and then three words on how you actually describe yourself. Oh, that's fun. Okay, so this is funny because my maid of honor, who is my is my quote unquote sister, as I call her, threw me a virtual bridal shower slash bachelorette because it was kind of in the middle-ish of COVID and we were all scattered. And she got them to describe me in one word. (laughs) So I feel like I could picture what they were saying about me. Yeah. Um, So I will say the first, what other people would say about me. So brave, kind, Hmm. uh adventurous I will say for the last one and then how uh, three words to describe myself well the pressure (laughs) (laughs) so I'm gonna start with adventurous I do agree with that for sure I would say curious for my second and I don't really know how to wrap up this word, but like mm, health aware, hmm. I don't really know how to describe that in a word or like I, I want to describe that I value health and it's right. like a part of me. It's not just yeah. I like, you know, nutrition or working out. It's I really value it and it's part of my work as well. Like it's my everyday yeah. life is yeah. something to do with well-being. So I don't know, maybe we could just toss in well-being in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Health conscious, well-being conscious. Yeah. yeah. I like <laughs> that. Works. Yeah. I like that. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for your time and just being here. And I so valued getting to know you a little bit better today. I learned quite a bit more about you. So yeah, so So, awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. And I'm so excited to hear some of your other episodes as well. I will definitely be tuning in. Thank you so much. Okay, we'll talk to you later. (laughs) Bye.